0: Okay, hello everybody. We're going to make a start again. So, if if you're on the panel, you know you're on the panel. Please come and take a seat, uh, and we will, as I say, make a start. So do do come grab a seat. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll get on the end, and then yeah, you can yeah anyway. fantastic um uh are you okay? Yeah. All right. okay aim here is to um try and think um, a bit more about um, holiness as we seek to grow ourselves as believers um and how we minister in um, in god's churches so um that's the that's the plan for this discussion um and i'm keen to try and um, cover some questions that we've we've kind of been reflecting on together, um, but then hopefully we'll have time to open it up to, um, to questions um, from, um, from the rest of the room as well. Uh, as we get going, um, why don't we just um, introduce ourselves, um, so I'm um, gonna pass this along and it will work. Good uh, of luck.
1: Hi, I'm Hamara, I am at Master Neighbourhood Church, um, married to David Earl, who's the pastor there. And we've got six kids, and I work now for Oxford Schools Chaplaincy, so a lot of my time is spent with young people, which is delightful.
2: Thanks. I'm Neil. Neil Turton. I'm a pastor at Long Crendon Baptist Church. and married to Liz, who is over here.
3: I'm Fiona. I um, came to work at Trinity Church, um, Oxford, uh, just over a year ago. I was in Leicester for a long time before that. Um, I did nursing, and midwifery, and yeah, really enjoying Trinity Church, just uh, mainly uh, working with students and the women there.
4: Uh, I'm Andy, um, a training director for a couple of uh, Christian organizations, so lead the ministry training course that meets down in Oxford on Tuesdays, and then do some stuff with uh, living out, speaking to faith and sexuality. Wonderful. Cue the microphone. I,
0: I, hold on to that at the end there. That's great. Uh, and, and can you pull your chair that way a bit without falling off? Do we need to move the chairs back just so that the whole room can catch us? That's great. Lovely. Um, all right, let's, um, let's start off just thinking about, um, in Christian ministry, um, the importance of, of our own godliness. Um, we'd just love to hear from, from everyone really, um, uh, um, why, why we want to try and emphasise that and, and how in particular you've, you've tried to pursue that. and um, uh, So, yeah. Andy, do you want to kick us off? Yeah.
4: I mean, I think... Um, I mean, there's a sort of negative reason, a positive reason, isn't it, why as, as leaders we want to pursue holiness. The, the, the negative reason is, is, if you like, we don't want a huge contrast between what we're saying to others and the way in which we're living uh, ourselves. Um, I guess she has got a lot to say about hypocrisy, and we don't want to go there. So that, that would be the negative reason. I guess the positive reason we've just have outlined to us so helpfully is, why wouldn't you want to be holy? In a sense, holiness is to be like Jesus. Why wouldn't we want to be holy? So I guess we want to be holy to avoid hypocrisy, but they're the just the positive reasons of this really is the best way to live and to image the Lord to the world, and so we want to pursue that.
3: Thank you. Um, I think, um, I mean it's obvious isn't it, but time with the Lord. Um, One of the practical things I try and do is have uh, quiet times that are different when I'm on holiday. Um, So I don't pray through my lists of people when I'm on holiday that I pray through um, when I'm um, uh, sort of doing ministry and I try and slow down so my quiet times will be uh, meditating on, say, passages, trying to learn passages off by heart, um, slowly going through psalms, that kind of stuff. So just trying to change the, the pace. I think a lot of it is just trying to slow down because if we're in a terrible rush all the time, that's not um, very helpful. And the other thing I find is, well, are good friends who um, I'm accountable to and that I pray for and I can be myself with, friends who don't see me as the church worker, I think that's really important. And then I just think back to Knighton in Leicester where I work, the older people in the church were a fantastic challenge to me. Their hope, their trust in the Lord, their prayers just made a massive difference. I learned way more from them than I did ever help them with. And so just hanging out with godly older saints just is massive. Um,
2: Mm. I guess what we're all (coughs) trying to do the whole time is look at our hearts, isn't it? And... uh, Um, whereas our hearts in relation to God God wants uh, people after his own heart I guess that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God and therefore examining ourselves uh, our lives as we read the Bible what is God saying to us um, or should we be changing I think one thing I've found helpful is having just a a conscious um, self-examination from time to time we have an exercise as as elders where we um, have an appraisal each year Um, that includes getting feedback from One another, and for others in the church. Um, Also includes a self-assessment, which is not just the sort of ministry um, performance, but it's the spiritual health of each of us. Um, And we have to answer certain questions, um, such as, "How has your walk with the Lord been in this past year? Um, What are the the sins and temptations that you struggle with, and how do you try and deal with them? Um, You know, how are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit?" Um, So to actually look at that and and analyze if you like is really helpful, but then also to actually share that with somebody else. Um, so it's not just something you're keeping to yourself, you're, you're asking people for help in the ongoing battle. Thank
0: you.
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, often we think of holiness as being our own personal holiness, but I think it's that corporateness of holiness. And so I uh, grew up in Switzerland, I'm Swiss Sri Lankan, and so I often read my French Bible because I think it, it helps you see the scriptures in a fresh way. And I often, so the English translations often have you, and you never know if it's singular or plural. And for me, when I read the French Bible and it says, be holy, it's, it's plural. You know, saint. It's, it's, a, it's a corporate thing. And it's what really, it's both, I think, as I was only saying negative and positive, it's a challenge because I know um, others' holiness depends on mine that I have a responsibility to be holy because I influence everyone around me. I know this very much as a parent. No interaction is neutral with my kids uh, or with my, the youth I work with. I'm either moving someone closer to Jesus or further. So there's this sort of, oh, I need to be holy because there's a corporateness. But also I think if the Lord has told me something in my Bible reading or whatever, I should be sharing it. I often say that to to young people and, and, and to those in my church, if, if you've read something in your quiet time or whenever, or the sermon, something's really hit you, it's not just for you. It really isn't. It, it's, it's for everyone. You know, sh- share what you have. So for me, it's very much that awareness that holiness is a very corporate thing, and to, and to be conscious and intentional about it.
0: Great. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I will, um, I'm going to try and just ask questions, but it would feel slightly weird if I duck the um, is holiness important to you question. So I will answer this one, and then I'll try and shut up. That's, that's the idea. Um, so uh, yeah, a couple of reflections, I guess. One would be um, when, when we think about particularly godliness and Christian leadership, then the pastoral epistles have their lists of if you're going to serve particularly as an elder or a deacon in the life of the church, then these are... Um, the, the characteristics that ought to be true of you. It is striking how Paul emphasizes character far above um, anything else. Um, he mentions ability to teach and to manage the household of God, um, but the importance of, of character and of um, gentleness, of, of having various things under control and um, to, be, to be self-controlled ourselves. Um, that's that's um, helpful for us to have in mind as, um, as a really clear emphasis in the New Testament. Also, that those, those things aren't exclusively what leaders should be. Actually, you can find Paul saying in those letters that those things should be true of every believer. Um, and maybe that's just helpful for us. I don't know at what stage of um, what your kind of role in the life of the church is, how much you think, oh, yeah, I, I think I fit one of those more kind of formal ministry roles. Um, but those are things for all of us to be, to be growing in and, and seeking to, to pursue. Um, how to do that? I think one of the things I found most helpful, I used to have a post it. Um, Now that I've moved office, I need to probably write a new post-it. In my old office, it said, um, starve the old, feed the new, um, which was just a little phrase that came from a, it was a Paul Mallard sermon years ago, thinking about that old self and the new self, Um, starve the old, feed the new, Um, and just thinking each day um, how to do that, how to um, put to death an old self. Um, how to, to feed the new. And feeding the new is partly about being spiritually fed, to be with God's people, um, uh, but also I think, I've, I think I've learnt more and more, actually just the cultivation of habit. It takes time, um, but, but seeking to just s- start um, and then try and maintain patterns and rhythms that are, um, are gonna bear fruit um, the importance of, of habit in, in feeding that new self and um, putting that on each day. Let's, um, let's think about um, how we then help other people make progress in holiness and um, how, we, uh, how we do that. We, we want to do that in ways that aren't overbearing. That's one of the things that leaders ought not to be. Um, but the New Testament clearly speaks a lot about exhortation and um, admonition and those sorts of categories um, Neil, do you want to just kick us off maybe thinking how, um, how you've learned to do that as a pastor? Um.
2: Yeah, um, I think first of all it's good to, as we've just been talking about, the importance of holiness. I think um, as a church in general, probably every church here, uh, I think we have been impacted by the, the culture around us and um, worldliness has crept into um, the church. And therefore, I think it's important to just um, acknowledge that, recognize it. Uh, each year, we have a verse for the year, and um, we try and focus on that throughout the year. A couple of years ago, we did focus on 1 Peter 1.15, which is just, as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Um, and it was that sense of actually being a distinctive people. Um, but We'll come on to the whole mission thing later on. Uh, and it, so it's encouraging people to take holiness seriously, I think, um, Kevin DeYoung in his book, Whole in the Holiness, um, acknowledges that as evangelicals, quite often, we do have this hole in our holiness. We we focus on being justified, um, that we have been made right with God. Um, It's all by his grace. Um, We focus on what we've been uh, saved from, but less on what we've been saved to, um, to living a holy life. So um, I think it's getting that, I suppose, in people's minds, first of all, that they have a desire for holiness. How do you then do it? I think it does come a lot down to the issues of the heart. So we don't want to be moralistic. We want to tell people you have to behave in a certain way because that um, is not what being a Christian is about. Um, But helping people to look at what is God doing in their heart? um, uh, What are the idols they've got? Helping them acknowledge those idols, um, identify them. Um, How have they become in the way of their relationship between them and God? Um, Being honest about our own idols. um, you know, one of the idols I've got is I've got come between me and God. Um, is it that I'm seeking people's approval and popularity rather than um, the the honour of God? Um, so I think it's those sorts of things. And so the, the teaching, my preaching, we're trying to apply um, what the Bible says to to the heart. Um, our home groups um, would have questions based on the sermons, which again try and go deeper into what has been taught to apply that to to each other's lives. Um, to to share that and be open and honest with, with, with one another. Um, and some of the courses we do will be focused again on the hearts and so things like real change. We've done, as some of you may know that. We've done that in home groups. Again, looking at um, the heat in people's lives, the struggles, and how they respond to that that heat. Um, and what does that reveal about their hearts and how can God change their hearts as they seek his, his help and the power of the spirit.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Fiona, do you want to? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's do it.
3: Um, I was just thinking, um, in terms of um, challenging people, um, I remember years ago a, a vicar in Cambridge said that pastoral ministry is 80% encouragement and 20% challenge. And I kind of always remembered that. And the fact that um, we need to build a good bridge with people, we need to love people before we can have permission to kind of uh, challenge them in areas of their lives if we go in. Hard um, when we don't have a relationship that that can be very difficult. and I think also for me, kind of not relaxing in the wrong way but kind of just trusting that if someone's a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working to make them more holy and it's not all down to me. I'm just wanting to encourage them in that. Um, so it's, it's his work that he's using me to help a bit with um, rather than the other way around which I think we can get the wrong way around. Um, and sometimes when I've seen people, and, and maybe something in their life is really obvious to me, but it isn't obvious to them that they're not doing, that that something isn't quite right, um, encouraging them to pray that the Spirit would convict them of sin. So it's not me going in and going, that's bad, you must stop doing that, but it's actually the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, because that's his job, it's not my job, Um so there's a prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. And so just something very practically I've suggested to, to women sometimes is just ask God to show you your sin because he's He's good at that. Um, and he'll do it in the right way. Um, so again, just practically that's something I have, have uh, tried yeah, lovely.
0: to do.
4: Yeah, I mean... Probably a couple of things for those of us who've got, as leaders, got particular responsibility for, for teaching scripture. But one is, I think, as we think about holiness, just being aware of the dangers of our own personality. So so for some of us, our instinct will be whatever is going on, we want to be sort of reassuring and encouraging because by temperament, that's what we're like. For others of us, you know, we will spot something and we're onto it immediately, or our instinct will constantly be to sort of challenge uh, and I think one of the things I've found helpful over the years is just faithfulness to the tone of Scripture, actually. So, if I'm going to be, as I teach my way through the Bible in Bible studies or of those of us who are preaching, that that sense of I want to be faithful to the tone of it will mean I will both reassure those who are discouraged, and in other places, you know, from teaching 1 Peter one fifteen, I will be challenging people to live in line with, with Scripture. And so, I think that balance of how do we both sort of encourage and admonish will happen as we think, okay, I want to reflect the tone of scripture should should be useful for us. I guess pastorally, I, I don't know, I've tended to have a sort of two-stage process in my mind. You know, as perhaps you can see people drifting into directions of unholiness, essentially the first time I would meet, presuming that I knew people already... I'd just be asking a load of questions actually so just trying to find out what's going on in life what pressure points there might be trying to sense whether that as we just talk about life there's going to be an acknowledgement this in an area i'm really struggling i suppose if if actually i've asked loads of questions and there's still a sort of glaring sense of wandering away from geez probably a follow-up saying look can i be honest i think this is an area where you probably do need to think about stuff so i I always had that sort of two-stage process in my mind just hopefully as a useful way of helping people to reflect with the Spirit's help. But then ultimately there are times when we do need to admonish one another and we're called to do that.
0: Mm. Andy, what kind of questions do you have in your back pocket when you're having a conversation like that? You might have given us, I think, a couple of examples there, but um, it's tempting sometimes to jump to the... Um, are you reading your Bible every day? And yeah. some of those more kind of mechanical things. Um, just as you're trying to so, try I and mean, understand
4: it. I would, for <laughs> some of you have been on the receiving end of this, um, um, but, um, <laughs> so, you know, so often I would sort of use questions like, look, talk me through life. What's, what's encouraging? What's hard at the moment? So, just a general sense of how life is going, plus is minus. And I might say, should we just chat through? You know what life as a Christian looks like at the moment. What's encouraging? What are areas you're struggling? And to be honest, would actually be fairly willing to make that mutual and be answering the same question uh, myself. So again, we're trying to spur one another on. But those open questions would be where I was starting. If there's a sort of you know maybe somebody is in the process of I don't know beginning to head towards, say, marrying a non-Christian or something. Can we talk relationships? How are the, so becoming increasingly specific if there's a sort of area of particular concern. But yeah, questions first, hoping in the sense that they, as the spirit convicts as well, will get to the place of self-awareness. Only if that isn't working, am I then beginning to push a little bit harder?
0: Hmm. Thank you. Hamara, do you want to come in on this?
1: Maybe just thinking a bit about the um, young people that we work with, I think in that holiness and encouraging, challenging them, it's, it's making it a very positive narrative. I think it could feel like holiness is eating your greens, you know, whereas I just, it, it's its modeling passion for Jesus. Often it's, it's, well, C.S. Lewis, it's the different kind of loves you have. What are your loves so, to drilling down and often walking away from holiness is because you're, you've been captivated by a love for something else and asking and probing those questions, but also watching your own heart and going, you know, do I love this book? You know, do I believe this is good? Because actually young people out there being told this is bad, this is harm, harmful, Christian holiness is harmful. And do I... Does it ooze out of me that I love Jesus and living for him is the best thing I can do with my life? And then articulating that in whichever particular love they've got snared up with that's not Jesus. I think that positive narrative is really important.
0: Thank you. Okay, we've covered in quite general ways thinking about um, our own godliness as those serving in the church and then thinking about um, how we encourage and an environment where we are reflecting on ourselves, where we try and 80% encourage, 20% challenge and try and probe. Um, why don't we just pause there? Any any questions around those things and then we'll get into some more specifics. Anything you wanna um, chip in or ask? Yeah. Gets... Yeah, interesting. Um, Hamara, you've touched on the home. Um, do you want to say a bit
1: more? Yeah, absolutely. Holiness in a home. We've got six children, so it um, makes it very interesting. Um, but yes, absolutely. Um, as a, if you're a believing home, then that is the heart of what family life is. I mean, I know my... Um, so I didn't grow up initially in a Christian home, and I remember chatting with my father-in-law, and he was saying, well, actually, every home is like a little Bible school. That's what a home is, and you reflect that in how the scriptures sort of are undergirding, but also overtly in family devotions and, you know, Deuteronomy, as you walk along the street, as you wake up, so yes, absolutely, Um, home should provide a center of gravity of holiness. But then your homes are not isolated, are they? A church is made up of homes in whatever, whether that's, you know parents and kids or whatever homes we have. But yes, absolutely, I think the erosion of family life and the erosion of the value of home life, uh, which I think government policies and things are really eroding our home life, and I think that militates against holiness, yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Okay, um, yeah. Um, I wonder if anyone on the panel has any reflections on the idea of really in society, how we, to the extent to which we should seek to make society more holy. Okay, um, we're gonna come on to some questions about culture and, and mission, so we'll, we'll get to that, but, but um, do put your hand up again if we don't manage to, to come back to that. Um, thank you let me just touch on um, the next session is um, three breakout groups to choose from. Let me just describe those um, uh, and um, and then we'll come back to these things. So, um, because they're in different ways thinking about um, how do we encourage uh, um, the church to be to be growing in holiness. Um, so, um, Phil, um, minister at Grace Church Killington, um, is going to be helping us think, how do we encourage a culture of holiness in a church when we come from different backgrounds? Um, and so, thinking about uh, in a diverse community, how do you make sure that you're not just assuming a set of cultural assumptions about what's normal or godly, when actually you're just describing a middle class or a um, or a British culture? Um, so, how do we not just baptize one particular way of being a Christian um, and instead um, be a, a, a properly diverse um, community? So, Phil's going to be helping us think about that. Um, ben um, is going to be helping us think about um, how as a um, a, um, a church we maintain. Um, An atmosphere of grace. And does it, do you have to choose between being a really gracious church or a church that really pursues holiness? Um, How do those things fit together? How can we um, enjoy God's grace and how might that even help us to pursue godliness? So Ben will be thinking about that. Um, And then Hamara is going to help us thinking particularly about um, with youth and children, um, how can we encourage them to live for God? Um, So, how can we help them to pursue godliness? I'm thinking about the challenges that they face and and thinking about the responsibility that parents will have, but also churches, how we can support families in that. So those are the breakout rooms. So um, if questions are um, brewing around those sorts of topics, lots of opportunity to discuss those things there. Uh, let's let's come to think about some of the other particular um, conversations or issues that will are going to be prevalent in in lots of our churches that might just be helpful to to reflect on. So um, just as um, uh, perhaps we, let's head to the end here. Um, Fiona or Andy, um, you've got lots of experience of having those sorts of... Con- <laughs> Fiona, let's hold on to that for now. Um, you've got lots of experience of um, sitting down, asking some of those diagnostic questions. What are some of the issues that you just find keep coming up and, and you find you're, you're having lots of conversations about?
3: Thank you. I think the questions thing's really important, and I think um, that a lot of the difficulties with our holiness and struggles we have come from not really knowing who God is and not really believing who that God is who he says he is. Um, you know, does he really love me? Um, is he really good? Um, does he really know what he's doing? I mean, in my own heart, those are the questions, even though I know I do Bible studies on it, those are the doubts that come into my head. Um, I think... Uh, quite a, a big thing that um, that many people struggle with is, is pornography. I think that's a big area uh, pastorally and I've been struck by how many women struggle with pornography um, and so that's something that I, I've had to kind of think about. How do I help people um, with that? The biblical counselling guys have done some very helpful stuff on. That. I've had, went to a very helpful seminar um, on pornography and they talk about... Um, questions we could ask if somebody's struggling with pornography um what is their view of god that's that's kind of where i think sin starts so how are they viewing god what lies are they believing about god um how do they see him um how do they understand him Uh, another question is are they fighting this battle or have they given up um because if they've given up if they don't want to change then there's not a lot that we can do um, to help Um, uh, so that's and then i think it's prayer isn't it um i think another thing to think about is the circumstances um of when they look at pornography um so to perhaps chat about you know the last three times they they looked at pornography what was going on around them what what triggered it so think rather than the actual incident actually what led up to the incident is really helpful because once they've actually pressed the button on the computer that's late that's too late it's kind of what what was the process that led up to that Um, and and putting sort of concrete practical things into place um, there Um, I think a really important thing um, that, that we've already talked about is why they're looking at pornography um, what's going on um, in their heart to cause them to do that. Are they bored? Um, are they numbing pain? Are they angry with God? Are they kind of sort of trying to punish God by doing something that displeases him? Are they looking for comfort or escape? And there's lots of different reasons people look at pornography. A woman I met up with um, years ago, not in Oxford, she had been sexually assaulted as a, as a youngster, and she looked at porn quite a lot consistently because of what had happened to her in the past. Um, and it took quite a lot of talking to her and asking questions. The other thing I think is important um, is to find out what kind, What are they talking about when they say pornography. So I assumed that when she said she looked at pornography, it was kind of photographs. Um, but it wasn't. She was watching violent um uh, what are they called, films, you know, like, um, mm. I don't know where she found it, but really kind of very violent stuff. And it was because she had felt very powerless when she was assaulted that she was looking at pornography where women were kind of dominant and powerful. And that helped me to understand why it always, there's always... If you get the jigsaw pieces in place, it, it always makes sense. People don't do things generally that don't make sense. So it's just taking time, being a safe person for people to talk to, so not being shocked. Um, but I think it is recognizing it is it, it is a big deal and why people are doing it. Um, and warning people that it, you know, the Bible teaches us it. you know, sin tastes sweet, doesn't it? But it is death we're giving the devil a landing pad. This isn't just a behavior that's not a great idea. This is really giving the evil one um, a foothold in our lives. So yeah, I I think those are a number of things. Also building relationships with people. I think letting the light in is a good thing. So if people can share with a couple of people, not obviously widely, that they're struggling with this people they trust. Um, and then perhaps text somebody if they feel the, the kind of, that they're going down that track um, towards looking at pornography to, to text someone before they get to that stage. I think sin's a bit like a helter-skelter sometimes. When, once somebody's on it, there's a very difficult to stop. It's the same with alcohol, with, with drinking. But if they can actually stop, not get on the helter-skelter, um, that, that is a really helpful thing.
0: Thank you. Fiona, right at the start, you mentioned biblical counselling. So that's biblical yes. counselling UK. Biblical counselling UK.
3: I've just pastorally I've been doing pastoral work for a long time. I found them the most helpful, most realistic. They're very good with their questions. So questions like, um, if you're trying to work out where someone is, um, if, if God was looking at you, what expression would be on His face? That will tell you immediately where someone's heart with the Lord is because. A lot of Christians will say, he's disappointed with me, he's angry with me, he's frustrated with me. So that will really help to work out what's going on with them in quite a sort of unthreatening way. And then another one, if God was in this room, where would he be? Would he be the other side of the window? Would he have his back to you? Again, that helps you to see what the relationship with the Lord is like um, of the believer in a way that's not kind of traditional um because i think it is all about who god is and our relationship with him that's usually the heart of sin isn't it mm. yeah Can I ask a yes please yeah how do
0: you um relate then to somebody who uh is struggling maybe with the relationship with their own father
3: There's a lot of oh yeah absolutely Christian. absolutely hmm. ...far part of god and if you've not had a good relationship with
4: yes father,
3: yes Yeah, I mean, I have a wonderful, godly father who I loved bits, but he had a temper growing up and he was a bit unpredictable sometimes. And I realised, actually, talking to a vicar's wife here in Oxford, that I was putting some of my dad's stuff onto the Lord and that wasn't right to do. I think the first thing is to recognise it, to recognise... I, You know, my dad is fantastic. He's not perfect. I would guess no dad that anybody's had in this room... Is is going to be anything like as good as God? So recognizing that that's what we're doing, repenting of it, um, because if I'm blaming God, if I'm um, don't like Him, a lot of Christians don't like God very much, which is it's terrible, but but we're sort of a bit. Oh, um, mm. So I think, and then bringing people back to Scripture: Do we really believe what He says? You know, do we really believe that He is compassionate and gracious? And slow to anger and rich in love, um, so I, I think those things, but I think it's a slow process, I think repentance and faith that's kind of um, taking God at his word, um, all of those things, and I think a responsibility on on older men as well to model you know what it is to be loving and good and kind and patient. Um, I think I always come back to if he loved me enough to send his son to die for me you know that that is basically the heart of it isn't it and it's not how i feel about him it's about who he is and who he's revealed himself to be and my feelings go up and down all over the place
4: hmm. yeah thank you uh, not not a huge amount to add really I, I just want to underline loads of what fiona's just said i i think as we're dealing with holiness questions, both with us and actually for ourselves, it, it is the combination that Fiona's just modelled of, of of what's going on in the heart and practicalities because so often instinctively we will land in one of those two areas. So, And I think often, you often, are, our instinct can be, here's a battle of temptation, here are seven practical things to do as a result of that, which will actually in the end probably not get to grips with it. Um, so... Two passages I, I would use a lot, both for myself and trying to help others. I think the end of Hebrews 2 is massively important. So the fact that Jesus is sympathetic in the midst of temptation. I just think it's really important because actually if you, you're facing a temptation in some of the areas that Fiona's just mentioned, and you have an image of Jesus who is fundamentally unsympathetic at that moment, you'll go away from him rather than towards him. And it's really important in the midst of temptation we go towards him. Um, Colossians 3 I think is just a really useful pattern for how we battle sinful temptation so as we think we're united with Christ we set our heart and mind on things above that's what gives us the power to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature and I think just trying to help people with those kind of things is just really important now for some of us we'll just stay there and we'll never get to the practical issue of what you do in the precise moments of temptation but that combination I just think it's really important.
3: I'm sorry, just really quickly. I think um, it really struck me. I was looking at Romans 8. Romans 8, 13 says, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And I think as you know, evangelicals and, and from the background that lots of us come from, um, sometimes we can forget that he is the power. And if we could just cry out to him or text someone else to cry out to him when the battle is is. Um, fiercely, um, fiercely, what do battles do? Raging, when the battle's fiercely raging. He is the one who can, and he really does help us. He really can help us. So I think Romans 8, 13, again, is a really helpful thing to share with people.
0: Mm, Lovely, thank you. Um, Let's, uh, Neil, just as you think about um, leading the church, conscious of familiar struggles, um, I guess here's, some of us will be, Working for churches, and and so we're having those sorts of conversations. Um, for for some of us, it might be that in our friendships, we realise um, that somebody's struggling with this, and we want to direct them onto somebody else. Um, but just so as we think about the life of the church, and we think about the sorts of struggles that it's just helpful to be aware of as common struggles in the Christian life, so that we don't act um, shocked or um, or appalled by those things. Just anything else as you kind of reflect on church life that you think. These are some of the common things that it'll be good if we weren't surprised by, if we knew how to to respond to.
2: Um, yeah, I guess just what's been a little bit helpful for us as a church recently is we've had a number of uh, recovering addicts come into the church, and um, I guess that's been helpful for us just to see that there are people who are actually no different from us; they're just addicted to a different substance, but. What is it that's caused that addiction? It comes back to the underlying issues that Fiona was talking about. And we all have those underlying issues that may cause us to be addicted to something else. Hmm. Um, So I think it's recognized that we're all struggling. um, And we're not sort of labeling anybody. Um, And I think that just that honesty and vulnerability people like that have shown um, has helped us all as a church, really, to say, um, yeah, we're we're all weak, we're all frail. And we all need each other's, and above all God's God's help.
0: That's helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, thank you. Um, let's then come to think a bit more about culture. Yes, yeah, a question there.
2: And the first step is, you know, I'm powerless to change myself, isn't it? And um, I think that's where, if you got to that point, you know you need help, then it's, okay, where do I find that help? Um, and through the program, it's a sort of a higher power. Um, but um, when they realize that actually that higher power is God, is Jesus, and that's where they can have a relationship with him, that's, that's a wonderful change, they see. And a lot of our work's happened with um, Christians who were addicts, who've spoken to other recovering addicts who've said... Um, this higher power I found is Jesus. Do you want to know more about him? And um, so that's a wonderful way into to using that course yeah, into, into the gospel.
0: And have you used other courses or materials um, to support that work? Or
2: um, Not at the moment. It's been mostly one-to-one Bible reading, yeah. um, just uh, helping them to see who Jesus is mm.
0: and taking them through the gospel really through normal ways. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, let's come on to think about... A wider culture, which um, at one level you might say it just isn't interested in holiness. In other respects, you could say actually it, it has its own holiness code. There are some things that it, it demands that, that everyone be, um, that we affirm various things, that we um, act certain ways towards people. Um, and so um, that, that presents quite a challenge to us. We're actually, um, we can actually be seen as quite unholy. <laughs> For the things that we do and um, that we we trespass various commandments about being affirming um, or particular things that our culture cherishes as um as kind of marks of of holiness Andy, does that does that make sense as a sort of question and is that um uh is that something you you can help us with
4: yeah sure um i mean i think that's a really useful way of framing the question in terms of i i guess I guess at a surface level, we can look at a culture around us and see it essentially as non-interested in morality. Actually, in many ways, the opposite is true in as much as values around equality, fairness, and so on. To a certain extent, at least, I suspect this culture holds more strongly than probably its predecessors have. And it's just important we know that's what's going on because if we see the world around us just not interested in morality... We probably won't respond in a way that is is helpful. Um, I think the, the the goal we need to have as as Christians, as we live in our culture, is we want to be like Jesus. You know, who in a sense that is to ultimately what a, a definition of holiness will look like. And I think there's, I suspect there are two different challenges we we need to work on. Perhaps particularly with young people, but this will be true for all of us. I think it is vital that we do clear work emphasizing that God is our loving creator who defines us rather than being self-defined. I I think most of the issues around gender, sexuality, a whole heap of other things, essentially that is the the background to all of them. And I I suspect we don't get a lot of traction because we don't go back there. So most of you will know I spent far too long talking about issues of sexuality and gender, but essentially every time I do, I'm saying basically this evening we're discussing what the universe is about. We're going all the way back there. Does the universe work best with me and my desire center stage? Does the universe work best with a loving God and his plan center stage? And, and I think in all our discussions around this thing, we've got to go backwards. That, that's essentially what we're, we're talking about. So we will want to go back there. Can I say the the particular danger for Christians in this period will vary hugely depending on personality, possibly depending on how old we are to a certain extent. So I think for some it will be just drifting along a cultural path that prioritizes self-identification over a dignity given by God. Frankly, the other danger for Christians will be self-righteousness. You know, in a sense, as you want to be like Jesus, what you find, it seems to me, is Jesus having a really clear sexual ethic, for instance, and yet somehow conducting him in such a way that he can go to the woman at the well in Samaria such that the tax collectors and sinners are somehow drawn to him. And so it seems to me, if that's our goal, if that's what holiness looks like, one of the ways in which we will not end up being helpful for our culture is if our tone becomes marked by self-righteousness. Given, in a sense, if we're talking issues of sexuality, there will be no unbroken place for any of us to stand. And so we want the humility as we engage uh, with the culture. Um, I think 1 Peter, we've talked about 1 Peter one fifteen. be holy as I am holy. Uh, I think 1 Peter 2.12 is just a massively important verse for Christians at this point you know, live such good lives among the the pagans, the non-Christian world, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father on the day he visits us. In other words, saying we will get accused of doing wrong in some of these areas. I don't think there's any way of getting around that. But our responsibility to being accused of doing wrong is not to get angry and bitter and defensive. Our responsibility then is to go back into that world and do good. Um, one of the lines I often use is that on these kind of questions, that the church's goal is to baffle people. In other words, what we want are people perhaps saying, "Look, I find some of your views around sexuality, gender, and so on, just a bit old-fashioned and maybe a bit bigoted, and yet you're the kindest, most compassionate people I know. How does that work?" And I, I think where well, we manage to have conversations like that. I, I think that's our goal. So it seems to me the twin dangers are, are following a cultural path, prioritising individual um, decisions about identity. The alternative path, though, will be a path of slightly irritating self-righteousness, which actually doesn't commend the gospel either. Mm. And actually is,
0: is its own way a very worldly... Yeah. You know, so true. much of contemporary culture is actually... Very desperate to prove our own righteousness—that yeah. we think rightly about the right things—and we're up, we, um, we affirm all the things that we should be affirming, and we and we, um, castigate people who don't. That there's a very self-righteous tone at the moment, and to be gracious in the middle of that, it's going to be very distinctive. That's really helpful, thanks, David. Um, thank you. Um, just other thoughts on how we how we support Christians in in that sort of environment. Thanks,
1: Just uh, working at, once again, young people. I think the verse that always comes to mind is Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just to acknowledge that we are always, wherever we are, being shaped. And and I think that realism that society is always trying to shape us into a form that's not... Uh, not according to the scriptures, and, and the encouragement to be a thinking Christian. We can't be lazy. I think sometimes we kind of go, let's coast, I'll go to a Bible study and I'll listen to the sermon. But actually, we need to really be thinking all the time in every way. We can't be lazy. Um, but also, I think, be thinking, be curious about the other arguments. And I like this expression. I heard it from this fantastic uh, uh, American, Preston Sprinkle. I'm sure some of you will have heard of him. There's a lot of stuff on sexuality. Um, and he said something about steel-manning the opposition's argument. Don't straw-man. You know, straw-man, you, you put up an argument and then break it down. He said, steel-man the other person's argument. Really understand where they're coming from. Like, we don't like people to just go, oh, yeah, I understand what Christians are. And there's a sort of a caricature of what you believe and we shouldn't do the same to others. And actually, I've been so blessed by having genuine friendships and really wanting to understand people who I completely disagree with. But it's nurturing that kind of friendship that's so important. Because you get under the skin, you understand, and then you can effectively speak God's truth into their lives mm. rather than going, mm, the opposition. <laughs> um, and there's a vulnerability there. Um, and it's, the, it's, it's being hu- humble. It's a humility, a curiosity, a vulnerability. But it does demand to be thinking, because then you really need to understand what you believe. And it's relational, ultimately. I want to know you really well, because I want to introduce you to my best friend, Jesus. You know, th- there's a real relationality uh, uh, in that.
0: Hmm. Super. We've We've moved on to already how Christians can try and be distinctive um, in a culture like this, but just any other final reflections on um, how we can be um, distinctive, how we can help people think, um, what opportunities there are to to stand out in good ways? We may have said everything we want to say. Um, I
2: guess there's, there's two things, isn't there? The, what do we do as individuals? Um, and hopefully we're equipping our churches as they go out into their 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 weeks, uh, the workplace, um, uh, the school, the home, um, uh, the social club, wherever it is, to be shining lights for for Jesus. Um, So in our individual behavior, we just want to be different, don't we, and show that that is an attractive way of behaving. That is not like the others when they're they're gossiping, they're they're negative, they're cynical about the world, because the world, (laughs) there's a lot to be cynical about. But if we are putting out a hope there, um, and also when we ourselves are going through adversity, that um, uh, it's not a hopeless thing. We're not just not getting us down because we still have a God who loves us and this is supporting us and taking us through that. So it's that sense of we've got something here, which Hmm. as they see, well, actually, what is this thing you've got? Yeah,
0: Hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Why don't we just throw it open to other questions? We've got five minutes left. Um, Questions you'd like to ask the panel? Yeah.
3: I, I I, mean you've probably come across this um, but uh, Jerry Bridges has written a book called Respectable Sins which I find quite helpful um, I think yes the kind of materialism um, particularly in Oxford I've, I've been in Leicester for a long time it I think it is quite striking. Um, I think what helps me is to have friends around me who are not kind of being sucked into that. So, trying to be different, um, but it, it's very—it is very appealing, isn't it? Because we like nice things. We like, you know, um, yeah, we we like comfort. We like pleasure. So it it yeah. I think having friends around me who are who are living differently—that that's quite important, isn't it? and remembering that this isn't home as well that's very tempting isn't it Um, so reminding people that this isn't this isn't it this is a step on the way to home i think that's another thing um that can help um so yeah um i
1: I think you're going to be touching on this in your breakout but but seeking cross-cultural christian relationships So by cross-cultural, I mean, obviously, as a Sri Lankan Swiss, I've experienced that firsthand. But it's not just that. It's socioeconomic, cross-cultural Christian relationships. Because you are all banded, you know, back home in Sri Lanka. We've got a caste system. It's obviously obvious where you fit in the strata. But it's there in all aspects of society. So meeting people, believers who are just from a very, very different background, help you notice your own acceptable respectable sins I think and actively cultivating that I think as I look at the churches in Oxford I just think you know birds of a feather flock together it's a fact and churches are no better that way and I always my heart's longing for all our churches that we become more diverse in every possible way and I think that really helps then identify um, our blind spots because we're all blinkered mm-hmm. thank
0: you Phil have you got any other wisdom for us <laughs> 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 oh. but it, it's but yeah, I mean Paul so often alongside sexual morality names greed um and we we gloss over that far too easily and don't really probe what that might look like here in Oxford, sure. Um yeah. Just
3: we're very prone to is self-confidence isn't it we we kind of a lot of us put a lot of our confidence in what we can do Um, I've just been reading a book called uh, the heart of the servant leader by a guy called Jack Miller and I found it really helpful his emphasis on humility in leadership and not having self not doing what we do out of self-confidence because we have abilities God's given us abilities and we very easily think that it's us and and God often does a stripping-away job, doesn't he, to hmm. make us feel quite vulnerable, and then we realise, actually, no, it's, actually it's you, God. <laughs> You're doing this. So I think, again, um, self-confidence, pride, those kind of things lurk under the surface, don't they? And um, they don't often sort of show very obviously in our lives, but I think those are big, big things.
2: Hmm. I guess also our culture is very much focused on performance as an achievement. Um, what I've demonstrated that I can do. And that, I think, does infiltrate the life of the church as well. Just put pressure on church leaders to have to demonstrate achievement, performance, as opposed to focusing on holiness and our relationship with God and our character and all the things we've been talking about. So, yes, it's, I think it's really important to be aware of, of that and how that's going to be subtle, isn't it? It's that sort of a subtle, uh, respectable sin.
1: I think Oxford's the worst place for that. Intellectual pride... It's it's riddled. We're riddled with it. And um, I think being thankful for weakness and failure, I think that's so important. The scripture is full of that, you know. Uh, In in our weakness, we know the strength of the Lord. And I always think of uh, James chapter 1. I love the translation that says, um, do not reject trials as intruders, but welcome them as friends. It's very difficult. But... Our failures are the point of our greatest growth, and that's really helped me in ministry. Um, failures and trials, because our instinct is to go, ah, you know. Yeah. But actually turning around and going, welcoming, not, not on, you know, it's painful. It is painful. Um, and actually, this illustration will probably not be helpful for many of you, but I've often thought it's like when you're giving birth and it's a contraction. Okay, so, so stay with me on this. <laughs> It's painful. Some of you have experienced this firsthand. some by proxy, some never and don't want to go near it. But there are ways of responding to that and often you just get stressed and fight it. When actually that contraction is there for a life-giving thing, you know, it's, it's for giving birth. And actually if you change your mind, if you have a different attitude to it and go, this is life-giving, I'm going to work with it, it works a whole lot better. It really does. Even and, and the other thing is you get a break and you know there's another one coming. And it's the same with trials and failure. You'll get a season, you go and you kinda go, Oh, when's this next when's the Lord gonna give me this next trial? You know. But that's not the right attitude. You kinda go, right, he'll give me a next trial and I wanna work with him to bring new life, you know, in myself and in the people around me. So I know that's something that's really <laughs> maybe that's why we had to have six kids, I had to figure that out. <laughs>
0: Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Paul um,
1: says
0: countable joy, doesn't it? Joy.
1: He does. not sure I got quite to that point. No.
0: I found the gas air very helpful, but very um, helpful. Uh, thank you. Well, let's pause there. Um, we've got another 15-minute break. So um, just chance to stretch your legs. And then we've got those three breakout groups. Um, what we'll do, we'll have two in here and one in the foyer through there. Um, so, um, with Ben, we'll be thinking about um, how a culture of grace goes with a culture of holiness in the life of the church. Um, so um, towards this corner here, I think we'll gather a circle of chairs. Um, uh, if over here we have Phil thinking about um, the, um, how we develop a, um, a diverse community, thinking about holiness across different cultures um, and socioeconomic factors, those kinds of things. Um, in the life of the church um, over here. Uh, and then with Hamara thinking about youth and children um, in the cozy lounge with the sofas. I'm Perfect. heading that in direction. Uh, and at 12 o'clock, um, that's where we'll be. So 15 minute break. Thanks everybody. Thank you panel. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all, that was, that was super, thank you very much.